Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst with Faster Skier. We're here to break down the finish and the final climb of the Tour de Ski, and we are absolutely thrilled to be doing that with one of North America's legendary cross-country skiers, Keegan Randall. We'll get to her and Devin in just a second, and first we'll start with the sponsor. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. Located outside beautiful Bend, Oregon, the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center has 56 kilometers of daily groomed Nordic trails. With a season that typically runs late November until the end of May, Mount Bachelor has one of the longest Nordic seasons in North America. The Nordic Center hosts a full rental fleet, various instructional classes for all ages and abilities, an on-site retail store, and the cozy Nordic Cafe. So be sure to check out this winter wonderland this season. To learn more about tickets, passes, and resort amenities, go to mtbachelor.com. Should I introduce Keegan before we get anywhere? Absolutely. You absolutely should. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I guess I actually should say, I mean, Keegan probably needs no introduction, right? Um, anyone who's listening to this podcast probably knows Keegan Randall, um, Olympic champion with Jesse Diggins in the team sprint in 2018, uh, multiple world championships medalist and all around, uh, also cancer survivor, I should add, um, and uh, all around, um, you know, leader in the sport of cross-country skiing uh, in North America and the world. So we're um, very pleased to have her join us from Anchorage where she's got a new job. I don't know if that's anything you'd want to talk about too, Keegan. It's pretty exciting, but yeah, thanks for being willing to jump on. Sure. Well, I've become quite a fan of the show lately, so it's oh, just no. fun, fun to catch <laughs> up with some old friends here. <laughs> it's always fun to catch up with some old friends. You know, I think our listenership was seven and then it jumped to like 13 um, uh, after I made some comments about Frida Carlson's behavior in, in Oberstdorf. Um, but I uh, maybe I wish those five Swedes that have started listening weren't, weren't weren't fans of the show, but it's great that you're one of the seven, Keek, and we appreciate it. You know, Devin, I was actually waiting for this opportunity to to respond and say, I think once you start making like front page of Swedish tabloids, you're no longer allowed to shit talk your own podcast as something that nobody listens to, even though I can see you are definitely not recording from a recording studio or look in any way professional right now. <laughs> yeah. um, so far in the past like couple months, we've made Estonian tabloids, Swedish tabloids. So, um, you know, just oh. uh, keep that in mind. Well, well listenership, li listenership or not, we're... Um... We're, we're, we're notorious. We, we're, we've become notorious for something. And you're right. We aren't, you know, you're, you're a wonderful journalist. Um, but Ira Glass, I am not. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, it, it leaves something to be desired, but that that's kind of our vibe. We we're, we're cool with it. But speaking, jumping in a little bit, we can come back to this after, but I'm really curious geeking to hear about your new role uh, in Alaska and, but we can come back to that. But I, I really wanted to ask you some questions about that. I'm so excited that you've jumped in with both feet into such a great ski community. One of the best ski communities in North America and to have a leader like you jump in like you're doing. I mean, I hope Alaska is over the moon for this. I, I think it's, uh, the future's bright in Alaska. It's always good in Alaska for cross country ski fans and, uh, young people on, on Nordic boards, but to have you, running the ship for youth programming and stuff like that. It's uh, I, I want to hear a little bit more about that. So we, we hopefully we don't burn too much time talking about the tour de ski 
I'm excited. There's some good races, but I want to, I want to make sure we, we get back to that by the end of this. Sounds like a good plan. Well, <laughs> um, should we get into it and talk Let's about get into it. First, I guess, um, pretty fun, uh, exciting races to watch yesterday in Val the, um, classic mass mass starts. Do you want to break, start breaking those down, Devin? Yeah, let's go with the Let's go with the women's race right off the bat. And it's no surprise that the women's race have, have I, I, like I've said over and over, I think the women's racing on the world cup this year has just been fantastic the whole time. It's been so good. And yesterday's 10 K classic was no, no different. I mean, it had, it had a lot of great racing and some smart racing, some really, really smart racing by some of the top names in the sport. And I mean, with Keegan here, it's fun to, to hear her perspective, but Nepreyeva skied such a smart race. It was just like textbook tactically a wonder that she was never lost her cool sitting in there the whole time using her poise strong and calm on the climbs. And you knew after that sprint finish, we saw in Oberstdorf, her double pole was just such on point. And as that race started coming down to the closing second, not seconds, but the closing kilometers, Nepreva was still there totally on top of her game tech, uh, technically and with those kind of tactics i mean the writing was on the wall as good a race as other athletes did and especially heidi wang to get herself back on the world cup podium uh what a great what a great timing there for her form to turn but uh Nepreva, i think at least for me my perspective was watching that race fairly early in the race after about a lap i'm like Nepreva is going to be hard to shake and she looks good to win this i don't know what your guys' perspective was on that well, I think that's what makes the tour de ski so interesting is that over the course of six races, so much can change that Val de Fiume course is got tough climbs, but a lot of uh, fast downhills and a lot of yo-yo. And so if you are a little bit panicky and changing position a lot, you can waste a lot of energy out there. And then when the pace accelerates at the end, uh, you can end up losing a lot of time, which second to last day you can't afford. So I totally agree. Nepreva was very smart tactically. Um, you know, we saw that crazy crash in the men's race, so you can never, you can never be too careful sitting back in the pack, but she, but she was really smart and she had to have so much confidence coming off that classic sprint. Uh, but I just still knowing all that found it really impressive the way she just skied away from everybody up that last climb. I mean, to, to win in Val de Fiamme by more than a, a split second is, is darn impressive. So, um, she really set herself up. Yeah, I know it was a great, it was a great day to have a great day in the distance race. And I wanted to get your perspective too. Like Krista Parmakowski, another veteran in the world cup that we know, well, I thought it was also really inspiring to see her form turn. And I think the whole finish program, I mean, this tour to ski has been just such a great, it's been a great event for the Finnish men and women, uh, well, they're big stars at least. And, and to see Krista back on the podium in third, Again, I thought she skied a strong tactical race too. And, um, you know, it's been a while since we've seen her on the podium and recall, you know, she has hardware from the last Olympics and, uh, what a great time to be feeling good. And, uh, that was a pretty exciting, that was, that's pretty exciting just for cross-country skiing internationally again. And that's what I love. I mean, you look at the podium or you just go start down the list, right? You have like Russia wins, Norway, second, Finland, third, Eb Anderson, we can come back to, I think, oh, she's so good and her capacity is off the charts and 
I mean, her record stands for that. She has so many medals internationally, but you know, she was really trying to get away. She was really, really trying to get away and it just wasn't working for her here in this, in this, uh, in this 10 K and she ended up with the wooden medal in fourth, but she had a super strong race, but Henning in fifth, she's always so good in, in classic. Now she's really stabilized herself at the top. We need Germans up at the top. We always say that everyone says that. I mean, it's the biggest economy in Europe. So, uh, it always helps when they're doing well, but like Stadlober in six, two in a classic race. I don't know. I think the race had it all. And I think it's just a really exciting time to be a fan of, of women's racing at the highest level. It is. I mean, you never want to go into a race going, all right, here's the podium. Boom, boom, boom. It's like these days, uh, it can be any one of 10 women and that's super exciting. And, yeah, it's been really fun to kind of watch the flow that Finland has gone through really over the last four years, eight years. Um, you know, when I was really starting to hit my prime on the world cup, I mean, Finland was just like so strong. I mean, at the Liberec world championships, so many medals there. And then they kind of started, they went through a bit of a transition and a lot, they had an old team. And, and when a lot of those veterans retired, you know, you weren't sure whether the next generation was going to fill the gap. Um, but clearly at this tour, the athletes have been on point. I think the, the wax technicians for Finland have been on point. I mean, we know Finns are good classic skiers, uh, but it helps when you've got the good skis and you could see that both early in the tour and late in the tour. Um, so it's great. And then I think for a racer like Krista, um, you know, when you've been winning races constantly all the time, it can be a little bit hard to, uh, you know, I got to imagine her big goal this year is the Olympics. And so that means sometimes putting a little bit of extra training in the body as you build to the season. And, uh, when you can't produce those podium results early on, you just got to stay so confident, but she seems to be timing things really, really well. Um, it was all, of course, so fun to see her too on the podium as well. Also has been in there, um, a long time. And, uh, so having, having been friends with those guys, it was, it was definitely cool to see. Um, but man, as a fan of the sport it is so fun to wake up now and check results because you just, could be anybody's game. So I just wanted to add there. I mean, it's like, can we, can we just schedule some races every year where we bar Johag and Frida Carlson from competing? Um, because I, I mean, I agree. It was like, um, uh, Devin, you and I were kind of texting about this yesterday. It's like that race, like there was suspense. You didn't know who it was going to win or what was going to happen. And it was just like really fun to watch in a way that I felt like, you know, you don't, often or always get with some of these races and it's like you know actually like this kind of like duking it out is kind of happening every race it's just maybe we're not paying as close attention because you've got Yohog like a minute off the front and like maybe we get that starting next year anyway if Yohog retires after the Olympics but um wondering also if you guys could talk a little bit about um what you saw from Jesse Diggins in that race. I mean, it seemed pretty clear from the get-go that she, you know, wasn't going to be right in the mix, but then also she seemed like she was hanging real tough to, to try to limit kind of her losses on that. Yeah, I can start with that. Like I, and you know, like Diggins, there was a lot of noise around the, her getting taken out in that classic sprint and it's a lot of energy too. And she's a big star in cross-country skiing now and not just in the U S and, 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 but internationally. And, you know, you got to remember how great a classic sprint she's had in Oberstdorf previously in previous tours. And she had set herself up well, she was qualified seventh. She was feeling good. And, and to, to, to know that you just lost there's no guarantee she wouldn't have won. I don't think, I mean, Nepreva was so strong, but let's say if making the final, you know, she's losing 40 odd seconds, 
um, into the dust with another classic grace, which has been her. Like I mentioned this, the last podcast, I called it like her Moby Dick or whatever. It's a white whale for her. She's had some great races in Val de Fiemme, but she's had some just horrendous outings as well. And oh, coming into a race that you're already maybe not a hundred percent confident for and burning all that energy and that disappointment at Oberstdorf. Oof, I was really crossing my fingers that she was going to be able to turn it, turn things around and have a great classic race, especially with those conditions. Cause like Keegan said, Val de Fiemme is really tough. I mean, these are a championship courses. These hills are steep and that two and a half K course, it has a lot of bite to it, especially in the later laps. And, but when I saw those conditions, I'm like, okay, you know, Jesse, her tough racing in Val de Fiemme usually is when she has, when it's bad conditions and her skis are maybe seven out of 10 or, or worse than that. And she just can't make them work in classic. Um, but you know, I thought things had set up well, that it was going to go good. And like you said, she was hanging tough, but she just wasn't skiing. Well, technically right kind of from the get go. And she was a different athlete than we've seen her earlier this year in classic. She, she was skiing a little bit like she has skied in the past, sometimes in classic where she's, she's not hitting her angles quite as well as she should. She, there's a lot of energy going not in the right directions. She's not as stable in her core as she has been. Uh, that's been a huge step she's taken. And I agree with you. She did a great job limiting her losses till the later stages of the races. And then to come 13, 58 seconds back, uh, that's not where you want to finish when you've had a disappointing classic sprint, no fault of your own, but still, um, to get knocked out in the quarterfinals. So I don't know, Keegan, what did you see? But I, I just saw technically, I thought Jesse just wasn't on point technically on a day when conditions were stable. And, and that's, that's going to happen once in a while on your weaker technique. No one knows that more than me. Like, Oh my God, some distance skate races I've had have been like so bad, like in the eighties bad. And, uh, you know, I just don't have the energy and my can't hold the technique. And if you can't technically there's bleeding time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things to kind of unpack in that race for Jesse, I think, um, can definitely appreciate the, just the energy um, that I'm sure that classic sprint result probably took, although Jesse is a veteran at this point and she's, she's always been really good at being able to kind of pack away one race and look forward to the next. Um, and still a couple of good formats for her to finish off with. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, she, she was right up front on the first lap. Um, so she was clearly landed out there. Um, I think that's a shift in her confidence that we've seen over the last, um, few years that she, now she shows up at, at the front every race to, to belong, but that course is so brutal. Like if you're just a little bit off, it just sucks so much energy. And, you know, once the arms start to go, once the core gets the pressure, if you can't put absolutely every ounce of pressure into those skis, you just, you're just burning energy. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've had a revelation now get to get to hear from Jesse after the final climb today. So we know a little bit more about the story that was going on there. So kind of knowing what we know now, I think, um, she did an incredible brave fight to, to try to keep herself in there as much as she could. But when everybody, uh, at the front is starting to actually accelerate into their best races at the end of the tour, um, and you can, you're not kind of maybe feeling your best, um, she did great. And, and, you know, definitely a stronger skater. And I think when, when classic is your kind of weaker technique, if the energy isn't full power, it's so hard to hold the technique together and then compare that with that just course profile in Val de Femme. And it's, it's a really challenging combination of things. 
we should we should add i mean uh, keegan was referring to i think um uh, jesse had a press conference after the uh final stage today where she talked about having gotten a little bit of a head cold and tested it sounded like she tested a couple times for covid and tested negative but felt like you know that definitely had um set her back a little bit over the past couple of days of racing um i guess my other observation was just it really i mean fair to sum it up that like if you're having a bad day on these courses in Val de Fiem, there's like, there's nowhere to hide. It's not like you can just sit in the draft and wait for the sprint finish. Like there's a lot of work getting done here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy hard. It's crazy hard in Val de Fiem. And, and especially like if you, if people that have been watching, uh, you know, like there's a sprint course, let's call it like the first K and a half or the first 1.2 K let's say, where it's like a lot of up and down It's a big stadium. And then you have a big climb out of the stadium, but then, you know, like you do get some good rest. It's over the flats cut, going down a hill with a sharp corner, but then out of there, let's say from about like 1.1 K or one, 1.2 K up to the top of the course, like on TV, it looks kind of flat because people are double pulling and looking so good. But like, I'm telling you, that is a false flat and it's a lot of work and the downhills all have sharp corners at the bottom. So you really don't get to recover quite as well as of some other courses. And, and it, it just, yeah, it really adds up, especially if you're not feeling well. And I want to come back to, to some things Jesse uh, said, but uh, Keegan, if you want to add anything there. Yeah, no, I, th I think we've uh, kind of just talked about um, the uniqueness of, of Val de Fiam. I think also knowing that that hill climb is coming up the next day. I mean, you try your best in the tour to focus on one day at a time, but there's that part of the back of your mind going, oh my gosh, I also know I've got to save a little bit of energy um, for the next day. And Jesse's an, a racer that knows she can roll her eyes back in her head and, and get absolutely every ounce out. And I just wonder if, you know, in that last lap, I'm sure she was fighting with everything she had, but she might've also been calculating, well, shoot, if I, if I don't totally blast myself today, then maybe that gives me a better chance to then come back in the skate the next day. And this is, this is a bit un unconventional for us. Cause usually we just kind of break each day by itself, but I kind of wanted to do something different and hop right at the winds and uh, if that's cool with us what do you we, think guys we we lost you for a second there but you were saying you just you wanted to maybe just keep it going right into the hill climb yeah, I, 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 I would like to i would like to and and because like there's something like i'll just get right to it. i mean it was awesome the women i'm will you know i've been kind of like a curmudgeon about uh them changing the format to uh a mass start but at the same time you know what it's good tv Mass starts a good TV because you can see who wins the race and see who's the strongest on the day. And, and they get highlighted, which I think is great because I think there was some performances in the women's race up that hill that were like absolutely fantastic. Claudel <laughs> being like the race of the day for me, honestly, um, how she managed her energy just perfectly. And she looked so far, not so far off, but out of striking distance. Nepreva put together just a phenomenal hill climb to solidify the, the overall but for Claudel to manage her energy perfectly, climb onto the podium for that third spot, I thought that was the that was the race of the day up that climb. Uh, Sophia Lockley, of course, fifth place, and Novi McCabe, first year senior, seventh up that hill. I mean, Lockley, perhaps we should all be like, 
fifth, we should celebrate hugely. That's a, a, a massive result. But she is light. She is a great climber. We've seen that in all the courses with uh, tough course profiles, even here in Norway or any like some of the Norwegian Cups she's been in or or that sort of stuff. She's she's really, really good on the steep, steep climb. So it's not a surprise that she was good. But to be fifth, that's a huge breakthrough. But Novi McCabe, seventh, that was so outstanding and I'm over the moon for I'm over the moon for the program. Um, it's just so fun to see that when stars have a tough day, like Jesse had a really tough day up that hill last year, she was only nine seconds off Ebba Anderson having just a phenomenal hill climb. And, and today she was over two minutes off Ebba Anderson. So she really had an off day, but for your big star to have an off day and have Novi McCabe and Lockley come in in fifth and seventh, IAs were just such phenomenal racing. Uh, so fun to cheer for the North Americans there. And the Amer- it was awesome. And then, of course, Heidi Wang played it perfectly and building on her great race in the day before to, to just, I mean, she, she had great tactics as she normally does. And you know, I was watching a little bit of that with Kristen and Kristen's like, oh God, I'm just so used to this. Like Heidi just sits there and sits there and sits there and you know, she's just waiting to spank you. And, and uh, Eb Anderson's an amazing athlete crazy sky high capacity like i said earlier but in a sprint finish if you're coming to the closing stages of the race you're going to put your money on heidi and and she she got it done winning the stage and climbed herself onto the podium in the overall tour um which was which was pretty pretty fantastic you you called that a wait you called that a sprint finish no well you know what i mean not sprint finish she distanced herself (laughs) last 800 meters exactly the last 800 meters when it flattens out and they switch to what Canadians call one skate. Uh, it was over before it started. Yeah, it's true. I'm glad there were two of them coming up over that final rise because it does make it exciting. And they did have some pretty like powerful looking skiing, uh, having done that climb to see it on TV, it looks so much more mellow than it actually feels when you've climbed that hill, but super impressive gear. I mean, Heidi was accelerating all the way to the finish. So, uh, really cool to see, particularly because, you know, last season wasn't great for her. The start of the season had been a little bit slow for her. Uh, but, and she's been, you know, at the top for so many years and you just, you wonder where her confidence has been, but she played it really smart and, uh, really happy for her, those two to have a really strong finish. I wanted to ask you, Keegan, like, cause you mentioned how Abba Anderson and Heidi specifically, how beautiful, so good. Like they were, they were offsetting up all that stuff, like using cross-country ski technique the whole way. Their angles were great. They were gliding a little bit, like very little bit, but a little bit. They had, and can you speak to like how difficult that is? Like I was just in awe of both those women today. I was like, they are skiing so beautifully in incredibly severe terrain. And that the, the kicker for me is like you said, 800 meters to go when you're done the chicanes, you're done all the steep stuff, like the stupid steep stuff, like up against 30%, that's done. But it's still really, really steep, like really steep. A lot of men, a lot of women, they're offsetting like on that stuff too. And, and Heidi changes to like that, that one skate in, in Canadian <laughs> and, and then double so dance. Does, yeah, double dance. Yeah. Double dance. And then so does, so does Ebba and, and they're skiing so beautifully at the heart of a punishing climb like that. And I, I don't think people really truly appreciate how incredibly difficult it is to have good angles. Like, I mean, it's, I was trying to describe it. It's like, I've had the worst 
moments of my ski career up up that hill sometimes i've had a couple of times where i was just couldn't ski myself out of a paper bag i was hot garbage my legs were shattered i was coach skating all over the place and and going nowhere fast but wrecked like i was wrecked and seeing those two women today i was just wow like the way they were able to execute that technically uh it was great to see them get paid for such a beautiful beautiful effort because i'm glad they were one two skiing like that yeah. And I think it's, it's good for the sport. Uh, I think the intrigue of this final climb is so fun. I mean, you know, whether it's six days of racing or nine days of racing, the tour has taken many different forms, but so much comes down to this final climb and you see some athletes that really thrive and some that fall apart. Devin, I'm in your camp. I always struggled <laughs> hard on those really steep pitches and just barely pulled myself to the finish. So I was, uh, I was really impressed. And, and again, it just helps the sport look good because it's fun that you can have that excitement and, and see the race kind of break apart from the pack, uh, at the base of it, but then still see those athletes finish so strong. Um, both of those athletes are, I think some of the uh, technically strongest skaters on, on the course. And you really see that come to play. And that's, that's why cross-country skiers train so darn much is because, you have to prepare for your body when you're at that ultimate state of fatigue to still be able to get the right angles, to put that energy into the snow in the right place. And that's where you really accelerate. So to all you young skiers out there, go out and ski up some steep uphills and then find something and keep practicing that over the top. So you'll be ready for your tour to ski someday. I, I was, I disappeared for a second. Yeah. I, I was just saying I, I was I disappeared because I went looking. I have a Alpser Mies like finishers bib from the one year that we went over and covered the tour. They have like a citizens race up it and the whole like faster skier crew did it. We were like in our hotel, like waxing with the like hotel iron the day before and totally like, you know, underrested. And I just I mean, I, the reason this was relevant, not not I, I couldn't find the bib, but the reason it's relevant. It's just I, I mean, I remember being like a um you know mortal person trying to to push my way up this um up this climb and just being you know basically completely humiliated like you know you're like I'm like I'm doing the granny skate thing and and I'm like not my skis are not gliding anymore you're basically just like stepping up the uh, up the alpine slope it's like pretty pretty embarrassing and good kind of reality check for like what professional athletes can make that look like so definitely um pretty impressive yeah no it was super impressive and, and but now moving on to diggins because of course she had she had just like a, a really i mean to say it's a really tough day is is an understatement it was a nightmare she had a nightmare day up the climb losing multiple minutes in an event last year that she really cracked the code you know when she won the tour de ski last year she you know there was a lot of question marks with jesse diggins on that climb too last year and she put them all to bed and she skied beautifully and now that we know, and, and this is, this is why I'm so glad Jess uh, Keegan's here because like we touched on this in an earlier podcast in this tour, but like, I'm, I'll just say it. I'm worried for Jesse for the Olympics. I am. Why? Because the last two championships, she's come to the championships too tired and she hasn't been able to ski to her potential at both championships. And now when I read or heard her say that she had a head cold, and decided to finish when it's 30 days till the Olympic starts. 
I'm worried. Like, I, I'm just like, you already are a bit tired. I'm already questioning, like not questioning. Cause I'm a huge fan and I'm like cork. I love him. He's, he's an amazing coach Diggins. What she's been able to do in her career is like, I'm saying we're just like, I'm not disappointed, but I'm just saying like, she's fourth at a championship. Oh God, disaster. That's not disaster. Like these are phenomenal results, but at her best, we know she can win or be on the podium. And in Seyfeld and in Oberstorf, she has not been at her best at the championship. And when I heard her say, I've got a little bit of a head cold, but I've been testing for COVID. So it's not that, but then I still chucked my race suit on and I did the last two stages of the tour. You're not 21. Like, like I'm worried because the other thing too, is like all these athletes, like Frida, you know, really disappointing. She felt so bad about the move she made. She got that penalty. She just packed up and went home. They asked her, how are you feeling about going home? She's like, it's going to be great. I'm going to go home. I'm going to see people I know. I'm going to chill out and and then go up to altitude and have great prep for the Olympics. I'm talking with all the Norwegians, like all on NRK today. Everyone's saying the same thing. It's going to be so good to go home for a couple of days and just regroup uh, before we go to altitude. North Americans can't go home. So feeling the best ever, even if you win the Tour de Ski, guess what? You're packing up into a van. You're driving to some random hotel with your teammates, with your coaches, with your there, like everything's the same and you, it's really hard to reset. And when she, when she said that she raced with a head cold, I'm like, Oh my God, like world cup points don't matter at this point. Like you saw what happened. What, what is she salvaging? The overall world cup is gone anyway. I don't know. I, I would just, I'm a bit worried. I was, I was, I really struggled to comprehend that decision to be perfectly honest. Not, not a criticism. It's just, it's just the facts. I, I'm, I just get worried. I was just, well, I want to hear your perspective, Keegan. Well, I think, I think you bring up a really good point in that it's, there's always this dilemma as an athlete when you've invested four days of racing into a tour Um, you're still sitting, you know, this say before going into the classic race, she described her cold as a light sinus thing. So it wasn't full blown. And as an athlete, you get really good at kind of convincing yourself, well, I've had sniffles before and I've had great races. So I'm sure they were, they were debating it, but kind of thinking she still had, had a solid chance, you know, to win. Jesse is also, you know, previous to maybe the last, this last few years, she has successfully used the tour as this incredible springboard. Uh, it's a huge fitness boost for her. So I think that was part of their plan. And just that, you know, they had intended on six races. And so they wanted to see through six races as part of that springboard plan. But of course, if you do throw a bit of cold in there, that's a little bit of an unknown factor. And the next, the next month is going to be crucial. Uh, she's going to have to be really on top of recovery. Um, I did just see that the La, La, La world cup has been canceled. So, you know, that's, um, that's a huge bummer. Cause I know that was, that was going to be an awesome world cup, but perhaps this does give those people that just finished the tour, just that little bit of extra chance to try to get in some recovery. But, um, but you're right. I mean, this year in Beijing is also a totally different deal. It's high altitude. It's going to be cold. No one, no one has been there and get a chance to do it. So you really got to come in feeling, feeling strong and feeling your best. But I think Jesse is well-practiced at this Europe European game. Um, she knows how to rest and recover. Um, she got some great family time over the holidays. So, um, yeah, we just, we just hope that they, she can get healthy quick and, and rest and recover and get that springboard. 
I mean, it, it, another question, sorry, like another question just to, to jump on that is like, normally everyone goes up to altitude, not everyone, sorry, but Jesse has gone up to altitude after the tour de ski. And now like you have a head cold. Size realm is not a place like I know I just started medical school. So don't ask me. I'm, I'm not a journalist. And I am not a medical professional. I'm just some random dude. But from what I know, it takes a lot longer to get over little sniffles at high altitude than it does at sea level. But with Omicron just wreaking havoc in Europe, adding another hotel, another buffet, or not buffet, but another restaurant, other cooks, other cleaners into this lexicon, uh, that is also something that has to be, has to be thought through. But it, it just, to me, yeah, I, I agree with you that the, the theory is that the tour gives you a springboard. And I've experienced that in my career too. I have. I've, I mean, when I've been racing at my best and raced well at the tour, it did give me a springboard into races later on in the season, no question. But I've also pushed through sometimes when I probably shouldn't have, and it was not a springboard. And it wasn't a nail in the coffin, but it was definitely a frying pan across the face. And, and um, I, I don't know. It's it just like you get a little bit of a cold. I hope she doesn't go right up to altitude because then it's just going to extend whatever cold you have. And if she does go straight up to altitude, then I guess we, you're in God's hands. And I hope, I hope that it is just a little cold and you can recover quickly. Um, but I'm just so impressed, I guess, with, uh, th with Rosie Brennan. Okay. Because Rosie has had great races before Christmas, the last few seasons. And then her form has fallen off from that. And her and Eric Flora made adjustments. They realized this is a huge opportunity to go back to altitude. She grew up in Park City, so she's really familiar with that area. Good time, race, not race, sorry, train at high altitude, do intervals at the altitude of Beijing, calm down, see friends and family if that's what she's choosing to do. I don't know. I haven't talked to her in a couple of weeks. But, but just resettle. Teresa Yohug's doing the same thing. Frida Carlson now wasn't planning to do it, but is doing that. I mean, there's only three spots on the podium in every one of these races. Finland, we've talked about Finland a lot. For the relay, the U.S., like on paper, it's like the U.S. is taking a medal in the relay at the Olympics, no question. It's at high altitude. You need a Diggins that's, that's ready. So I don't know. I, I'm wishing her the best. And I'm, I was sorry to hear that she wasn't feeling well. And I hope that, I hope that things work out well. Cause I mean, uh, it, there's a lot of risk. I just feel like there's a lot of risk. I'm glad I'm not the coach and I'm glad I'm not the athlete. And I, I just hope you're not listening to anything and you're just like chilling out, go to the sauna, put your feet up, eat some good food. Don't think about cross country skiing. If it's sunny, go out for nice long skis and in a beautiful place and come to the Olympics ready to go. And like you said, with the cancellation of France, maybe that's the blessing in disguise that Jesse need needed. So now she doesn't have to make the decision if she's just going to race every single World Cup all year long. You know what? Oh, she can't because it's canceled. And maybe maybe that is what she needed to just get her energy back. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I, I my. Uh, what I want, I mean, I have the same sort of questions and I, you know, I don't know if I can express journal doubts from a journalistic standpoint, or if that's, um, you know, inappropriate expression of bias, but I, I mean, you know, I mean, I definitely, um, you know, it seems like the proof is going to be in the results from Beijing. And, you know, it's, I think it's interesting. You point out sort of, we have these two different tracks that Rosie Brennan and Jesse Diggins took. I mean, the only thing I would say, I mean, I, I would say Jesse, I, I tuned into this 
little press conference Jesse had today. Like she sounded good. She sounded like she had good energy. She wasn't like talking through like a tin can, like had a bunch of like, you know, she wasn't hacking, whatever. And I also feel like, you know, we're not um, like Jesse is not 23 or 25 year old Bolshunov being like must race every race. I mean, you know, she is someone with like a level of like maturity and a decade of experience racing on the World Cup who presumably at this point, you know, it's like, I I want to be able to, and it seems like everyone wants to be able to trust that like Jesse and her coaches know what's best for Jesse at this point, and that and that you know they're racing because they really you know she's racing because they know that that's you know what is actually going to be the best thing for her, rather than sort of just feeling the pressure to finish the tour, whatever results of the tour. Um, I, I had one other observation about um, the tour to ski results. And I don't know if you guys have just some quick thoughts about this. Um, it's kind of surprised. I hadn't looked in a while when you look at the prize money list. Um, it's so heavy, heavily skewed toward the final results. Like, you know, I think Neprieva gets like 55,000 Swiss francs for winning the race. And like you win a stage and you get 3000 Swiss francs, which I'm like, man, if you like lose your spot in the way that Jesse did on that uh, in the last day or last couple of days, like it's, it's pretty costly. And I know, you know, like these races still mean a heck of a lot without the money, but like, that's also not, it's not an insignificant thing to, to, you know, you're talking like 20, $30,000 that you lose out if you have a bad day on that final climb. And I, you know, I don't know if you guys have thought of thoughts about that, whether you think that's a fair way to do it or whether you think they should be doing it differently. Well, that that's what's a little bit interesting about the tour to ski is that it is always weighted so heavily on that last day. Um, you've seen, oh, I mean, particularly when there was, we used to have the prologue, you had two sprints in the middle, you had really good sprinters who could be in the mix. And then if you couldn't put together the final climb, then all of that was erased. And the people who can climb a hill, which is such a unique skill, um, definitely take it all. So yeah, I mean, who knows if that's, if that's playing, in people's minds when it comes to, well, should I just grit and try to try to finish this thing off and hang in there? You know, I think for, for Jesse, I can't imagine that was a, was a motivator at all, but certainly for some people, um, you know, what's also going to be interesting about this final climb is the impact it has on Olympic selection, because you have some people that have a standout performance in this race that really you don't do any other time of year. So how much credit do you give that race? Like you give a sprint in Dusseldorf which are not, so not Dusseldorf, but Dresden, where just, you know, still, still a ski race, still high comp competition, but what does it really mean in terms of how you're going to race at the Olympics? So that's going to be uh, really interesting for teams and how they take that. I mean, like sure. Rote, you know, winning the, winning the men's race, you know, he, he needed to put a big result in to even be, you know, in the discussion at all. And so you wonder if today's result is going to help him out at all. Oh, you're very, it's so true. It, it's so, so true. And, and, uh, I find it super fascinating, like for, especially for the Norwegian, I'm glad you brought that up with, with shoot off that, like he, he had the knife to his throat in Oberstdorf in that 15 K skate, they all did. And he had to deliver. He had to be on the podium. If you want to keep your dream of the Olympics alive, you had to be on the podium. But then as soon as he does, there's discussion is like, how relevant is it? 15 K skate past conditions really easy first. Is this even really that relevant? And then he puts together the next chance he gets is the, is the up the hill. He wins. 
And now it's exactly what you just said. That, that's what people are saying. It's like, well, you know, you know, but he won. So it's going to be really interesting to follow along the big teams. I mean, uh, like who are the last couple spots for Norway are going to be? That's a, is it shoot? You have Shurata, you have uh, Paul Goldberg, who is in great standing till the last couple of days where he ran out of energy. And then you have like the young gun, like Harald Amundsen, you know, are you going to leave him at home? He had a bronze medal last year at the world championships. And then they're bringing Emma Leverson to the Olympics. They've already announced he is, and he, he I mean, he hasn't had a good race since by stolen. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of question marks for some of those big teams. And then even some of the, the bigger teams, I, I want to, this is just a whole nother podcast we have to, to make, but like, I want like a Char- Charlotte Kala appreciation podcast that we just spend like an hour talking about how amazing Charlotte is in every way, shape and form. And it is sad to see that Charlotte just, you know, this year, the last couple of years have been tough and I give her all the credit in the world for trying again. But who would have thought that we'd be sitting here in January and the reigning Olympic champion, you know, is going to be not on the Olympic team for Sweden. And she tried and she tried and she tried and she put together some like, okay, races for, for anyone else, quite good races for anyone else, but on the Swedish team uh, and for one of the best skiers the lot ever on the women's side, um, you know, so you got to tip my hat. Like what a, what a great champion, what a great person. And um, you know, I, I give her all the credit in the world for trying and I, my heart breaks that it just didn't work, work out for her. So you're right. Like these are all the things that are happening. There's a drama going on with Olympic selections with these big, big teams that, that we don't highlight a lot here in North America, because in North America, like if you're, if you're delivering great results in Dresden or in up the final climb or whatever, it's going to help you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But in these bigger teams, you're absolutely right. It's they're not weighted the same and they shouldn't be. Cause if you want to deliver at the championship on a championship course, you got to prove it on a relevant competition. Should we, uh, should we skip to the men? Yeah, let's go through the man. You know, luckily we can just kind of rattle through it. So people that are listening going like, God, I'm not even able to finish this podcast. Like <laughs> uh, they're going on and on, but I thought this was super relevant. There was one other question that I want to come back to after the men. We probably don't have time for it, but like, I wanted to ask Keekin, have we lost the magic of the tour to ski? Like, is the magic gone? Because it just keeps getting neutered down. And now it's just like 10 and 15 Ks in sprints and three venues. And it's just kind of like- No, no, no Cortina, no Cortina Tobak. No, no Cortina Toblak. Yeah, but Kikin and I have also had like those, the Cortina Toblak stages, of course, but also like Kikin mentioned prologues, uh, sprints, um, long travel between venues. Like, I mean, it was like six hour drives between some of the stages in the Czech Republic over to send like from Eastern Europe back into Western Europe. And long races that you were meeting, we'd have like 30 Ks, we have 20 Ks. The Val de Fiam race was a 20 K and everyone's like, oh, it should be 30 you know, for men, for men. And, uh, you know, some major moments in tour history, like the 15 K classic a long, long time ago, but when Verpi won her first tour, where her Verpi and um, uh, Anokaiza skied away from the field in that 15 K, speaking of punishing, and to just like sew up that tour, now it's just a 10 k it's, it's a hard course don't get me wrong it's a hard 10k but like it, it's have we lost the magic I, I, I don't know i still love the tour to ski so it's fun following along and and the athletes it means a lot to the athletes still but it's not the same competition it, it, it's definitely and then prize money i mean like when when dario colonia won early tours he was making like 130,000 swiss francs 
for the win. Now it's 55,000 Swiss francs. So not only is like the day stages is one thing, um, but like the overall prize money has gone down as well. And, um, and people skip it all the time. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I still love it. So I hope they keep going with it. It's a great concept. Um, but I just wanted to hear Keegan's perspective. I had to quickly do the math. I mean, I think the first tour was 2006, uh, right around there. So, you know, we're going on 16 years that this thing has been going. So any event that runs 16 years, you know, it's going to go through some changes. Um, I think what really makes the difference at the end of the day is what are the TV numbers saying? Because the whole reason the tour to ski came about was because we needed to keep interest in the sport right around the post holiday period before, before we got to a championships and it has certainly delivered on that over the years. So it'd be really interesting to see what the TV figures are coming out of this, you know, does the standardization of the formats take out some of the intrigue or are people still watching? Um, you know, the season has added other things that have, you know, we used to not have mini tours. Now there's a couple mini tours and, uh, various things. So I know that's changed the dynamic of, you know, teams wanting to travel and all of that. Um, you know, I kind of, I guess I'm nostalgic for, for our days where, yeah, we did that one tour. I think it was nine stages and you started what you did prologues and you did the long distance. And, you know, I loved it. It was hard, but it was so fun. Uh, but it's, and it's become a little bit of a different race. I do think it does make the season interesting though, when you see which athletes decide to do tour to ski and which opt to skip it or just do part of it. Um, and then, you know, what is that? effects have on the championships. I think that makes it kind of interesting. Um, some, some athletes can, can hit the, hit their high point, uh, through the tour and, you know, maybe it costs them a little bit of a championship, but you just, you just never know. So, um, I, I hope they keep it. I, I thought it was a fantastic event to race. Uh, now that I'm a fan, I love watching it. Um, it almost makes once the tour is over, it's like, Oh shoot. Now we got to wait a whole week. And now it's going to be several weeks before we see the results again. Um, so I think it's really good for the sport that way, but yeah, really it's changed a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I love the tour and I hope it continues. And I mean, I'm, I'm nostalgic for the, for the old uh, grind too. And I mean, you remember these days too, Keegan, back in the days you dropped out of the tour, all your world cup points you've accumulated up in smoke. You had to finish. You had to finish to keep your points. And I actually raced the tour to ski one year with a fever. Uh, the last two stages in Val de Fiem. Uh, I was, uh, because I had some podiums earlier in the tour and then I got, came down with like a really bad influenza and I was on the start line in Val de Fiem when Arl Munson was our coach in the 2008, nine season. And I think I started Val de Fiem. I mean, somebody can look this up and remind me, but I was either fourth overall or seventh overall or something. I was really, really good. And everyone's looking to me. It's like 20 K classic. This is Devin's race. This is going to be good. And I had, two long underwear tops and bottoms is like minus two buff. I was like, and shivering fever. And I dragged my ass around. I finished, I bombed and I just dragged myself up the hill. And that was to, that was to get, uh, get those world cup points that I had accumulated. So it's gone through a lot of iterations, something that has not gone through in iterations because we got to get to the men's race. Johannes Klebo continues to deliver and puts together. Now we're at the 10 K 15 K classic for people at home. <laughs> we're going to go through the men quickly. It was the best distance race of Johannes Klebo's whole career. And Johannes Klebo's had a storied career. He's only 25 years old. He's the most beautiful skier in the world, men or women. Technically, he's perfect. Uh, he keeps getting better. But how he delivered that 15K classic was 
the most phenomenal distance event I've ever seen him do. And yes, that includes his 50 K win at world championships last year that he got disqualified for, which was a beautiful race as well. But Evo pressing the pace like that with a couple laps to go Niskin, uh, sorry, Claybo going with Niskanen, no problem looking better than Niskanen and then distancing Niskanen and then coming in alone 20 seconds ahead of Niskanen. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get better than this. And much to your point, Keegan, 16 years of the Tour de Ski, lots of championships, lots of champions at the Tour de Ski. There has been one man that has won the Tour de Ski overall and won an individual gold medal at a championship, and that's Ustiagov in 2017. That's a crazy stat. So where does Claybo go from here? Can he hold this form? Can he get better? Uh, it sure looks like it. I mean, he looks like there's no shinks in the armor. So he, he does look like the Ustiagov of, of 2017 that was definitely able to do it. But, uh, you know, it, that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it fun for us fans. So, but uh, what a race by Claybo. Oh my God, I, I loved it. The men's race was awesome. For the first time maybe of the season, I was like, this is an awesome race. Yeah, it must be the hair. Um, yeah, it's gotta be the hair. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. <clears throat> so, so impressive to ski like that. Um, you know, he's, he's got to have so much confidence with the way the tour has gone so far, because a guy who's, I mean, he's obviously proven, you know, 50 K he, he can hang in there for the long haul, but when you race race after race and you're winning the sprints, you know, to, to win the sprints takes a lot out of you. Cause you're doing all four rounds. Sometimes some of your competitors are able to get enough in distance races that they don't, they, they almost get a rest day on a sprint day. So, so that was impressive, but then, uh, you know, for a guy like that, who knows he can just sit in any pack and blow everyone's doors off at the end for him to, to take the risk and go out front and ski away from Niskanen, who has proved he's like one of the, the 15 K classic best in the world, um, was just showed so much poise and, uh, and it's gotta be a good sign for him, but obviously the engine is running really hot right now. So this next month is going to be really important because we, you, you can get excited and you, he needs to cool it now a little bit and let things absorb. But, um, seems like his, his training team really, really knows what they're doing. So it's gonna be interesting to watch. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it will be so interesting to watch. And, and I thought it was also interesting to see, you know, Bolshunov, uh, you know, he, people might be a bit disappointed that he only ended up fifth in this race. But I'm actually, you know, if, if you're a Russian ski fan and, and you're a Bolshunov fan, you should probably come away from the tour, even though the last couple stages, maybe you're disappointed compared to the fact that he won last year. But I wouldn't be because I think like he is coming up and he's trending up and he's had such a troubled training season uh, with with injuries and then the, those operations for his teeth. Uh, and I think even though these last two races, the results don't look all that sexy for a guy like Bolshinov, I think it bodes well that he could put together six races and pretty solid, you know, of course his Russian teammates, although they're not team teammates because they have all these different training groups, but Trevotkin spits off. They had, they had great last, well, especially spits off had two great last races. I mean, to be fourth in that, in a gr grinding classic race, 15 K, uh, that showed that, you know, up that hill spits off is so good up that hill that when you're fourth in the classic race, you're like, okay, spits off's one to watch, but, uh, Bolshinov, you know, I know he's probably disappointed with his tour to ski, but, but, uh, you know, he shouldn't be after you see what, what, how the lead up has been that, it, you know, again, with France being canceled now. Uh, he can really recharge the batteries. He's going to be someone to watch at the Olympic. We, we always knew that. I mean, Bolshinov's not going to go to the Olympics and be bad, but uh, you know, it'll be interesting to follow that story. I have uh, 
I have no notes for Johannes Kleibo. The, the only thing I would point out here is um, <clears throat> uh, Spitzoff has uh, three medals from Pyeongchang and, uh, you know, seeing him kind of round into form. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like you've got any given race. There are like a half dozen Russians. You say this all the time, Devin, they could be anonymous, but like, you know, Spitzov's a guy that has shown um, he can be really fit at the right time. And this is just a reminder that, you know, Russia has a pretty deep bench and will be fun to watch the um, men's relay at the Olympics for sure too. Oh, so interesting. And the team sprint, like, is it finally, are you going to finally get a Bolshunov and Ustugov together on a team in good shape? Because if they do, I mean, it's, it's not a gimme that like Valnes and, and uh, Klebo or Klebo and whoever win easily. You, you, I mean, you, Ustugov at his absolute best and Bolshunov at his best. Oof, that's a strong team right there. So no, I agree with you. Spitzoff was great. And moving on to the hill climb. I mean, we touched on it a little bit. Shoot off that knife to the throat he had to deliver and he did speak again look great too a eh, like he looks so good technically and and i thought it was fun to see the contrast they were showing ivo niskanen because it was a real fight between spitzoff and ivo niskanen to see who's going to get that last place on the podium and spitzoff's going with with uh going up the hill with uh with Shudata looking good and you're like oh my god niskanen is just sweating back there because you know he's bleeding and like what a performance by Niskanen to secure that last spot on the tour to ski podium by only, what was it like four seconds or four point something seconds? Like yeah. what a, what a just superhuman performance by, by Niskanen to go deep. He's coach skating up there. Like he's just having the miserable time, but uh, he willed that. And uh, I thought that made it pretty exciting. I don't know. I, the hill climb to you is maybe a bit more exciting than uh, I had, I had expected. And, and Mach and Bogle, third and fourth this is great for the sport even though it's a sideshow and it doesn't really matter because we've seen how the german men have done in the distance races this year like not good and uh but that said uh it's still fun on a day to have bogle's been around in the world cup for a long long time and mock is uh, i think he's a world junior champion if he's not a world junior champion he's had top results uh, maybe he's not a champion but he's world junior medalist at least um so he's a young gun to watch and, and it was fun to see germans go three four in there i, I don't know what did you and, think? And an Andorran athlete uh, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, uh, finish, finish sixth. Irinu Esteve Altamiras, uh, 25 years yeah. old from Andorra. So. Yeah, I, um, I was super impressed with Niskanen as well because I, f- he clearly stands out in classic, but sometimes it seems in skate races when he starts to struggle, he's like he checks out but he clearly wanted that tour to ski podium and he was willing to really dig for it today. And, um, and again, that's what I love about this final climb is there's so many, many stories unfolding on there. Um, so that was really impressive. Um, sure. I think is one of the most beautiful, uh, skate skiers. So it was really fun to see. And again, makes the sport look good because he was dancing up those steep climbs and nice and springy at the top still, um, spits off. You make a good point. I don't really recall hearing his name that much over the last few years since the Pyeongchang Olympics. So, um, interesting to see him coming on strong and, uh, definitely going to compliment that Russian team. Um, and then, yeah, I'm cheering, I'm cheering for Germany as well. Um, they've been a huge part of the world cup 
in the past, I mean, with the Onger days and uh, I mean, so many great and then haven't had that like standout star. So who knows, a couple of young guys get a good, a good climb, even if it's not a standard World Cup event. Maybe that's enough confidence to kick off some new things in Germany, which we we definitely need. So, so really, really a fun day. And it's um, I love I, I do have to say, I think in the in the men's race where some of the fields were getting spread out uh, so much more, the, the mass start format today was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, like, like I totally agree, Keegan. Like, I mean, like I said earlier, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. I like the, I like the pursuit because it's like the hunter and the hunted, especially like going down that valley, that boring valley by yourself and hitting that hill alone or hitting your, that hill with a small group, but it's bad TV compared to what we saw. We can all admit it. I mean, like the mass start format, the men and the women, it was, it was fun to watch. It was, it was fun to see you could go and that Niskanen fight in the, in the men's race when you follow the sport enough to know that Niskanen's in that fight, that dog fight with spits off. Uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, I, I thought it, I thought it was fun. And I mean, but it is still, but the curmudgeon in me just is so strong. And it's like to see Nepreva cross the line, not first with her arms in the air after achieving an amazing feat to win the tour to ski for Russia the, on the women's side, like the Russian women are really coming on here. And it's, this is a huge moment for Russia for them to, to nab the tour to ski title and then kind of doing that, like what, what, like over 30 seconds back, you know, it, it's a bit weird. And, and Klebo had an amazing climb. Let's talk about that. Like just a fantastic climb compared to any climb he's ever done. But again, like he, he's crossing the line in fifth and it's like, yeah, like won the tour to ski by over two minutes, but uh, you know, um, it, it, so that, that takes some getting used to when you've been in the game as long as me, but I, it's hard to, it's hard to argue uh, just knowing that on the day, who is the best on the day. And that's always great. Cause you know, you've, you've had some athletes in the past, get great times in the wave member. Right. And then, and, 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 but they get a free trip down the Valley and a free trip up that first, like 800 meters when it's pretty gradual before you hit that first steep pitch. Whereas the poor guy in the front, like the, you know, or, or in a, a pack of two where no one wants to work on the flats, like you're cruising down in zone two, cause you're trying to fight for that overall so it really wasn't a good way to highlight people's climbing prowess. And now, you know, like Shudatha is the best climber, Heidi Wang, best climber, no question. Everyone started together and they came across the line first. So Fisk, good on you for that. I think it was a good change, even though I was a little lukewarm with it. But today I think it's better. It's a better format for, to highlight the climb. Well, it's always such an interesting battle between, you know, what do the racers want? What's the best experience for the racer? But then you got to balance it with what makes it spectator friendly. Cause if no one wants to watch the race, they can't understand what's going on or they get bored halfway through, then, you know, we don't make the case for a world cup. So it, it's a balance. And I think they have done a really good job of finding ways to keep it interesting uh, still make it fun, exciting for the racers. Um, and uh, you know, I still, still can imagine that they, they do a good job of celebrating on top there to, to give those overall winners their recognition. Oh, for sure. And I, one other thing I wanted to say, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you were following this. I know it's not like a prestigious uh, thing, especially for the overall contenders, but the points, the points Jersey, uh, the points competition, Hogstrom ends up holding onto the points competition by one point over Jesse Diggins. Um, so and- we, we actually, we, we had a, we had a reader, 
uh, asking, can you, can you give a quick rundown of how that points competition works for folks that are wondering about that? You know what? I think we might have to do that in the mailbag episode because this is getting a little long in the teeth, but I'll try and just summarize it fairly quickly. So back in the days, back in the days, instead of points, you would be getting bonus seconds and athletes and fans at home were criticizing this because the best athletes would break the field apart and just get all these bonus seconds and ending up like amassing like this, like four minute lead or like three Dario Colonia some years. Uh, you know, he's won the tour four times. So there was a lot of years where he was just collecting all these bonus seconds. Uh, Sunbi did that as well. Lucas Bauer famously just skied away from everybody in the 20K Classic in Val de Fiemme and just got all the bonus seconds. VFB, like we talked about uh, in the early uh, parts of the tour. So these were all seconds before and people were pissed because it's like, you're destroying the tour. So they're like, okay, we're going to keep this in and we're going to make them points. And at first it was like, when they first made that transition with these intermediate sprints in these races and you'd get, you get points and it was like kind of like a sprint Jersey, but then that got a lot of as well. They were putting, you'd still get these points late in the race where no sprinter is anywhere close. So who's winning the sprint competition, not a sprinter. And that was getting criticized as well. And now they're trying to find a balance. And I have to admit, this year they put the bonus, the bonuses earlier in the in the races. Finally, that, that you could pick up these bonus points earlier in the race, so that more people could take part if they wanted to. And the fact that Hogstrom, yeah, she was second, but she didn't win any sprints in this Tour de Ski, can come away with the points leader, like the sprint leader jersey. I think that's a strong change too by Fist. So good on Fist for making that change. Yeah. You know, there's at the end of the day, there's only three athletes that can be on the podium, but that's, is a lot of racing happening there. So it's great if you can throw some other things in there that give people different strategies and, and allow uh, shine through some other performances. So, um, you, you just wonder if, if those two racers, Jesse, um, and Hagstrom, if they knew going into the last day that it was going to be that tight. Yeah, and, and that's where Fist, sorry, that's where Fist maybe has done a kind of a bad job as they changed this from bonus seconds to sprint points and now like standalone points jersey, almost like a green jersey. I feel like, yeah, that education hasn't come down to the athlete level quite as well. And, um, and also the prestige of it, like we've talked about the prize money coming down on everything. Maybe they should start thinking about adding more prize money to that competition and instead of having it be like a little token, like 7,500 Swiss francs or whatever it is to make it like, yeah, maybe, maybe make it 30,000 Swiss francs to win that and like make it big, you know, because then it's fun to see Hegstrom win. It's, it's great. And I mean, it's not nothing. It's like, I think it was 6,000 Swiss francs, but also like, I mean, could they give a, could they do like an actual like polka dot Jersey or, or green bib or whatever? Like that could be cool. But I mean, Hagstrom, it was pretty clear. Like she was gunning for that in the past couple of days. Like you saw her leading out that uh, 10 K classic yesterday. And then again, leading out the, the race today to go get those points. And so, I mean, it, it definitely like there was a little bit of drama if you were if you were paying attention but i'm not convinced that that many people were paying attention so yeah so they have to highlight that better they have to highlight that better and and like six thousand swiss francs to win so i'm glad you were on top of that but like six thousand swiss francs to win a sprint competition it's not enough money communicate it better pay it more and then then make a story of it so that the the commentators at home 
because I was watching that. I was pumped for Hagstrom because I knew it was seven points going into this. Like, oh, this is close. And Diggins was like right up there. And I didn't know if she was doing it on purpose or if she just wanted to be up in the field to be in a good position. And I'm like, does Jesse know how close this is? Like, And, uh, you know, I know it's not a it's not a concern for her because 6,000 Swiss francs, who cares for if you're Jesse and, and also um, she's won the tour to ski before and, and she's gunning for at that point of the race, you know, you know, she was still thinking of top three in the tour to ski overall standings. Uh, so, you know, you, you can't be blasting energy trying to pick up these sprint premiums here and there, but uh, it's something that I think they could highlight. They, they tried it early. You remember the black bibs Keegan, um, you know, and, and they, they tried to do it, but again, like it, putting those, putting those sprint seconds so late in distance races just killed that competition and killed the interest for it. So they're going to have to build it back up again. Yep. It's all about telling the story. Yeah. So can we, I know we, we got to go here and, you know, Keegan has a real job to get to, I don't know about you, Tevin, but um, I'm on vacation still, Um, but I do, I do wonder if we can, Oh, essential cell biology. Um, Yeah. yeah, Whatever. Don't, yeah. Don't get sick in Norway. Um, The uh, it it seems like we should just chat real quick about, okay, we just found out that they, you know, there was going to be a mini tour in France and that's now canceled. And basically we've got one weekend of world cup racing before Beijing. And like, what does that mean? Like, what are we looking at for the next few weeks? I, you know, maybe, maybe we cover that in a separate episode, but just, I mean, it seems like all of a sudden there's a bit of a question mark about like, what do you do? Where do you go? What's the best way to prep? Do you, you know, um, uh, curious for your guys thoughts on that. I can start with that. Like all eyes are to the Olympics. And, and quite frankly, it's really sad because France puts together such great World Cups, great bands, great atmosphere, beautiful places, beautiful language, great food. Like, uh, um, But, uh, you know, the reality is now in the situation we're in with the pandemic uh, and the strict rules in China, if you, if you test positive coming into Beijing, you are going to have a miserable time hanging out in some hospital for the duration of the Olympics. Uh, so... All eyes are to the Olympics and in, in this new world reality we're in now, I mean, I think we just have to look at the positives to go like, wow, we're actually going to have an Olympics. Like I, I'm still pinching myself with that, to be honest. Uh, China's been a black box through this pandemic as far as like what's going on there. Like no one really knows. And then when there's like a handful of cases, they shut down huge regions with like 20 million people at the snap of the fingers. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. And what do you do for prep? I mean, Keegan and I, we're for sure going to be in agreement with this. You got to catch your breath and get your energy, but you got to get to altitude. You can't show up in Beijing, not, not being acclimatized for 1800 meters. There's no chance. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I think the teams already had strong plans in place that the cancellation of the races in France, I don't think will change a whole lot. Um, yeah, huge bummer. Uh, I went actually went to La Russe, uh, after the tour in 2013, for a little recovery break because it's got beautiful trails and good life, as you mentioned there, Devin. So bummer for them, but in a way, I think this may give the teams all a little sigh of relief because now they can just focus on their preparation plans. And I know um, that the U S team is planning to, to be at altitude and and they've got things lined up. So I think it's just going to be three good weeks to focus on recovery preparation um, you know, thankfully, like both, I think the the Canadian team and the U S team have some good depth now, so they can play off each other. It's not the same as racing a world cup, but it's also a way to get in those hard workouts and without the total stress and circus of, of a world cup. So that may, 
may be an advantage. Um, and then really it's just doing the best you can to stay healthy. Uh, cause I think that is the, the biggest critical thing going into Beijing. I just volunteer. We got a, a tiny glimpse. One of our faster skier correspondents yesterday shared, uh, like, I think that German biathlon team had some guys at, at the venue. There was a little bit of, in Beijing. There was, it looked like there was a little bit of a kind of opportunity to see what was going on there. Like really cool looking stadium, like cool looking courses. Sounds like, you know, pretty reasonable. We're not talking like full Fairbanks winter climate. And then the most interesting thing was apparently all the warm up trails are under ground. Um, so really curious to hear a little more about that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll hopefully God willing, fingers crossed negative COVID tests. I'll be over there. Um, I'm not bringing skis, but hopefully I'll manage to get a glimpse of the trail. So pretty excited. I, I just seemed, and Jesse talked a little bit, Jesse Diggins talked a little bit about that today. Just like nobody's, you know, there was no pre-Olympic world cup in China and everyone, you know, they've had an opportunity, I guess, for some like virtual, like skiing of the courses but like everyone's kind of wondering like what what to expect what are we gonna what are we gonna find when we get to china so i think that'll be a cool story to watch unfold for sure and one more thing on that is like let's not get carried away like in pyeongchang pre-pandemic claybo didn't step foot in south korea whatsoever and he made it look pretty easy to come home with three gold medals so you know what the most important thing is to get the olympics who cares if you've never skied the courses or not show up fit, show up healthy, show up inspired, good things can happen. Yeah. And I think it makes it interesting for the spectators, just the fact that in the past, you, you definitely see teams with more resources sometimes have a leg up when they can send texts to these venues and they can have camps on these courses and various things. So the fact that the whole world cup's kind of in the same boat here, just showing up and doing a race, it, it's kind of an interesting storyline. For sure. And before we leave, because we can't leave without this interesting storyline, sorry, Keek, but can you tell the world what you're up to and how excited is Anchorage? Is there just like banners everywhere? Like Keek is home, like the queen of Anchorage is back. Thank the Lord. Like you're like sermons, like church sermons. It's like praise Keekin. She's back. No, but um, can you just break down a little bit what your new job is back in Anchorage? And because um, I we led with that and I, I, I am also personally curious but also we think it'd be fun for people listening to hear what a sprint globe three-time sprint globe winner and olympic champion and and stuff is doing now and congratulations on your education too thank you well i i think my life will always be governed in quadrennials so i was really curious stepping away from the sport in 2018 what this quadrennial would look like and it's been definitely a little wild of a ride than i anticipated uh personally and for the world but I've found myself back in Anchorage with a really exciting opportunity to lead our hometown ski club, the Nordic Skiing Association of Anchorage. Um, I've taken the role as executive director. And what's really neat is that this is the program I literally developed in as a skier from being a polar cub in the junior Nordic program at age six to being a middle school racer, high school racer, doing popular races, events, um, racing U.S. Olympic trials here. And now coming back and getting a chance to really look under the hood and see what an incredible organization this is that has really been doing all of this on volunteer spirit and effort since the mid sixties. And so to come back and to appreciate, um, all that has been done and is going on has been established, but then to be able to bring world cup perspective, having traveled the different venues around the world, seeing unique snowmaking systems, seeing the spectrum of weather patterns, um, 
getting to spend a little time at the IOC, getting to spend a little time at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, still involved with the ski team. I feel like I've now gotten to see the sport from every single level. And I'm a mom now. And my son, Breck, is he's five and a half. Um, so he's still actually a little too young for the Junior Nordic program, but next year. Uh, <laughs> but, to, but to be back and get a chance to, to just contribute to the sport that I love so much and that has done so much for me and to be back in my home community. It's, um, yeah, I've been greeted with open arms and it's been wonderful so far, but I'm also having to, uh, to learn a lot and, and gaining a bunch of new skills. So wait, so I want to know as, as both, you know, I'm feeling some like journalistic vibes, like turning on here and, and as a exceptionally avid, uh, recreational user of Anchorage's trails and a, you know, card carrying member of the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage, all those things wrapped together. Um, what, what, like having, having been in this job for like at least a few months now, like, um, what are, I don't know, like what, if you're going to keekinify the Nordic Skiing Association or the, or the citizens, the Anchorage cup circuit, like what's something that you're, really, you know, and, and also acknowledging that, you know, there's already a lot of really awesome stuff in place. Like what's one thing you're like kind of excited to try to do that might be like new or different or cool. I, it struck me that Anchorage is a city of, you know, uh, just under 300,000 people and we have just over 3000 members in NSAA. So clearly we're not quite capturing and staying connected with the number of people in the city that the cross-country ski that utilize the trails. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity to, to bring kind of more people officially into what we're doing, whether that's introducing them to the sport or uh, coming in to support the trails so that we can actually then build upon what we're doing. I mean, we have a snowmaking system in place, but there's clearly room to go there. I mean, you know, climate change is not going away. That's going to be one of our biggest challenges. Um, we have all these cool programs going. We have our junior Nordic program. We have a ski jumping program. We have a biathlon program, but all those are kind of segmented right now and all competing against each other. And I would love to see us recognize that we're kind of all one big family united by sliding on snow. So where can we increase opportunities, especially for kids to get into the sport, try lots of different things, because I found that was super important for me growing up. I didn't get serious about cross country until I was 16. I alpine raced. I wish I would have gone off a ski jump because there's no way I have the guts to do it now. So I'm getting <laughs> Breck started this year. So I would love to see, uh, just the opportunities. Um, I also think we, we have a very unique population here in Anchorage, very diverse. And so we've also got to get creative about getting into those communities that wouldn't normally have that easy access to the sport of skiing and get them on cross country skis because I think we've seen through this pandemic, you know, our sport is perfectly situated to support physical health, mental health here in Alaska, we have snow six months of the year, you know, it just makes so much sense, but it's really about access and it's about role models. And there are some, some great programs, you know, Skiku doing things in the villages. And now I know they're turning some more attention to Anchorage. So it's just exciting. It's exciting to see improvements we can make in operations in programming. Um, but also, it's, it's just good to sit back and, and appreciate how much has been accomplished really, like I said, on this incredible volunteer spirit. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. To, I'm so thrilled for you, Keegan. And, and Anchorage is so lucky to have you running the ship, man. We got to move to Anchorage. We got to get over there. <laughs> the ski, <laughs> it, it's cold, but the skiing's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And right backcountry skiing, you have a lot better backcountry skiing in your backyard than I do here in Little Hummer. I can promise you that. But I think it is really cool to hear you say, um, how you were, how you were raised that you tried a lot of different sports and you enjoy 
enjoyed a lot of fun things outside with friends and family and so did I I mean that's how I grew up I, I, did, I did the plethora of sports and I'm so happy and glad for those opportunities because I still enjoy a lot of those sports that I was exposed to when I was younger and um, so it, it, you build a great base that way but I, I'm just so thrilled to have that we could have this chat Keegan always fun to have your perspective good luck so great to see your face great to see you smiling happy and healthy dress warm and we really appreciate having you on the on on uh, this little project of, of sorts. So I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's been really fun. And like I said, I really enjoyed the podcast and, you know, we still got a lot of season left, so it's going to be fun to continue to follow along. Since we have since we have Nat, who is also based in Alaska, I'm sure we'll reach out to you again and get your perspective <laughs> again. And we look forward to it. <laughs> Okay. It's great. It's great to be a, a spectator now and get to, uh, to make all sorts of observations on what they do. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Monday morning quarterbacking is the, it's the best, it's the best thing that can happen, but it's just funny. It seems like people don't listen to like my self-deprecation. Like, yeah, maybe I shoot from the hip sometimes, but like, I feel like I shoot from the hip because I'm not a journalist. I'm just a fan. Like you said, Keekin. And I've also had the highs and lows of the, of this sport myself. Like, won at the highest level you've won at the highest level and i i've been like so deep in the trash bin that i couldn't see the light i I mean it was like i wasn't a skier it seemed like i was so bad i was just such a bad racer and and everything in between that i think it's fun to give north americans a perspective of of what it was like because like when we were growing up back in the days um we didn't have that opportunity right like we didn't we kind of lived in a vacuum in north america and um, it's just fun to, to chat with friends about, uh, about the sport we love at the highest level. And it's fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for being here, Keegan. I was going to say, Devin, like, we, we, you know, we're now watching, you know, we can watch the World Cup, whether live or tape delay. We can watch our U.S. national championships. They had a live, like, fully produced stream this week. If you're not watching that and you're listening to this podcast, then clearly you care enough that you should be watching it on tv go find the go find the live stream it's pretty awesome so um yeah thanks for being here keegan and i guess we'll be back uh with like probably a mailbag episode and then maybe we'll uh you know have a a good opportunity to second guess and and critique the all the uh, olympic uh team selection when that happens uh in in a week or two here so you you know you you won't you won't go without us for for too long and devin will probably get some more hate mail to respond to so um, (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. I don't know. Like I'm not used to that. Like I was like a middle, like, like a kind of okay skier. And now I've got like, you know, I'm just some random out of shape dad that's trying to learn this stuff in Norwegian. And uh, I don't know, I'm not really used to those kind of like sexist, racist uh, trolls. I don't know. It's not, it's not what I'm used to, but anyway, I guess that's just the world we live in now. Pandemics and trolls and all the rest, but anyway, we'll survive. At the end of the day, we still have skiing. At the end of the day, we anyone had a great ski today. I had a great ski up in North Center. So people that are wondering how the ski conditions are in Lillehammer, it's finally snowing uh, a little bit each day and, and conditions up in Shushan and North Center are good. So there you go. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back in a few days with a mailbag episode. Send us your questions if you've got them.